Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. Happy Palm Sunday. This is, yeah, this is a major celebration for the Christian church. It's when we remember that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and was recognized as the king that they had been waiting for. The one who would come and deliver the people and restore the kingdom of Israel. And as we look at this story today, I don't want you to just see it as a moment in history. I want you to see it as a moment that history has been building up to. You have to understand that everything that was kicked off on Palm Sunday leading to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has been building since the beginning of time. Since creation has happened and the fall of man happened, they have been waiting for a king to come and set them free. And that's what we're going to look at today, the moment the king has come. I want you to know, we're not waiting on a king. We already have a king. He has already come. He has already done his work. He said, it is finished, which means everything that he has accomplished has already been accomplished for you, just waiting for you to take hold of it. Amen? Healing belongs to me. Peace belongs to me. Strength belongs to me in Jesus' name because by his stripes I have been made whole. So if you have your Bible, let's go to Matthew, the 21st chapter. I'll start reading in the first verse. And again, this is the Palm Sunday story. The Bible says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Somebody say, untie them. them. Before they can work, they've got to be untied. They've got to be set free. Before it can perform its purpose, it's got to be set free. The donkey's got to get untied. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. I'm going to try that sometime. I'm going to walk up to the nicest car I can find and just say, the Lord has need of it. (laughs) And see how they respond. Of course, in the South, you could walk up to the wrong person and get the wrong response. But that's what's going on here. I mean, they are donkey napping. A donkey. And Jesus says, hey, go just tell them the Lord has need of it. So these two guys just do what Jesus said. They go, they find the donkey. And the Bible says, if, he, if anyone asks you, what should, say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal, of a beast of burden. Again, this is a moment they have been waiting for. This prophecy happened hundreds of years before the moment. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. 
They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and other cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. That word Hosanna means save now. Turn to the person next to you and say, save now. This is important. They are recognizing Jesus as the one that has the power to save them. And when they say son of David, that is a public declaration that you are the son of David we have been waiting for. The man who would take over the throne of David that would be the final king. The final king. There is no other king needed once this one steps in and the people are recognizing Jesus as this man, and they say, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This was a day of celebration, fueled by their excitement and expectation of what this man would accomplish. The Savior they have been waiting for has finally arrived. It was a celebration for them. But for Jesus, this was a day of great pain and sorrow because he alone understood the cost of their freedom. He alone understood the price that needed to be paid for their peace. They expected a king that would ride in and overthrow the Roman government, shed Roman blood, but Jesus knew that that would do nothing for them. It may give them a temporary fix, but the fix they needed was a king who wouldn't shed someone else's blood, but would lay his life down and allow his blood to be shed so that they could experience what true freedom looks like. But they missed it. They didn't understand it because Jesus didn't do what they expected him to do. Here's the thing. If you misdiagnose a problem, then you will misdiagnose the solution. Does that make sense to you? If you ever misdiagnose a problem in your life, then you will also misdiagnose the solution. They saw Rome as their problem. They saw Rome as the source of their oppression. And although Rome was oppressing them, Rome was not the source of the oppression. It was not a physical government that needed to be dealt with. It was a spiritual government in dark dark places fueled by the sin of mankind that was even driving Rome. And so the only way to deal with this issue is to go directly to the source and deal with the darkness. There's a price for our peace. Turn to the person next to you and say, there is a price for your peace. If you like to take notes, I'm calling this sermon from Palms to punishment. We're going from a celebration 
to a crucifixion because it cost something for our peace. We, we want to talk about salvation being a gift from God that is free. It is not free. It did not cost you, but it cost Jesus everything. And to understand what I'm wanting to say today, we cannot start here in the Gospel of Matthew. We've got to go all the way back to the beginning of time. We've got to go to the moment when Satan decided to make war against God in heaven. The moment that he decided that instead of being a worshiper of God, he should be worshiped as God. And the result of this war, the result of his pride, which was sin, was he and a third of the angels were cast out of heaven. But here's what we have to understand, that when they left heaven, they went somewhere. And the war they started there now came to earth and made its way into the world through our disobedience, through the disobedience of mankind when they rejected God's plan for their life. And at that moment, everything changed. The moment man sinned against God, everything changed. The environment changed. Things began to malfunction. Everything that God created good and intended to get better started getting worse because there was a breakdown in the system. There was a breakdown in the order. And hear what I'm saying. Satan had no power to bring that into the earth. We gave it to him. See, he saw us as a threat to his way of life. When he looked at mankind, he saw in us what he wanted but could never have. He wanted to be like God, the very thing that we were freely given. We were created in the image and the likeness of God. We are a constant reminder of who he can never be. And so he brought the war to us, and through our disobedience, we forfeited our position. Understand, we went from being children of God, created in the image and likeness of God, to enemies of God. People don't like to hear this, but you need to understand why Jesus came so that you can understand the magnitude of what he accomplished. We became enemies of God. And if you are outside of Jesus Christ, you are still today an enemy of God. The Bible says in Ephesians, the second chapter, that we became sons of disobedience and children of wrath. Think about that. Children of God created in the image of God to sons of disobedience, children of wrath. And the one that gets me is Romans 1 where it says we became inventors of evil. We're not just doing evil things that have always been done. We're finding new ways to do evil. And instead of increasing and multiplying and filling the earth with the glory of God and the light of God, we start filling it with darkness. Everything changed. And he brought the fight to us. He brought the fight to us. And we gave it away. I want to show you this. In Genesis, the third chapter, verse 1, this is the story of where a man fell. 
And you need to understand the magnitude of this fall and the consequences we still see today because of our choice. And many of us would say, well, if it were me, I wouldn't have done it. Yes, you would. I would have been double-fisting the fruit. <laughs> because we're weak. We're frail. We need a Savior. We don't have the power to save ourselves. And there's no amount of good that you can try to do to earn your salvation. You understand that this is only something that could be accomplished by Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God, slain for our sin. You know what's so amazing about Palm Sunday? We talk a lot about Jesus riding in on a donkey, but on the Jewish calendar, it was the 10th of Nisan. The 10th of Nisan was the day they selected the lamb for their Passover meal. I don't have time to teach Passover, but you understand, the lamb was killed, the blood was shed, it was spread over the doorpost, and death passed them over. Now Jesus rides into Jerusalem, not just as a king, but as the lamb selected to shed his blood so that death can pass you over, so that the work of the enemy has to pass you over. But let's look at this. Let's look at the problem. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, speaking of the devil, which the name devil or Satan means accuser. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Let me first off say that's not what God said. He told him to not eat of the tree. Didn't talk about not touching it. That's something she added to the story. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. There it is. Death by deception. He had no power to destroy their life. All he could do was deceive them. And through their deception, they destroyed their own life. Sin enters the world. And through sin, death. Are you seeing the problem? That's the problem that each and every one of us have to deal with in our life, apart from Jesus Christ, which shows us the need for Jesus to come. And, and what's amazing is immediately after this whole scenario, God immediately promises the people a deliverer, a, a savior. He says the seed of the woman is coming and it is going to crush your head, speaking to Satan. The seed of the woman is going to crush 
your head. It was a foretelling of Jesus Christ who would come and destroy the work of darkness. But what I want you to see today is that the same enemy that was in the garden is the same enemy we have to deal with today. And he may not show up as a serpent, but he'll show up in culture. He'll show up in religion. He'll show up in politics. He'll show up in education and work on us to deceive us so that he can distract us so that we look and go, oh, well, maybe there is a better option. Maybe there is something better for me. And the first thing he will always do is he will try to get you to question God's word. Did God really say? He wants you to question the validity of God's word. And if he can't get you to reject it altogether, he'll move to try to get you to remove pieces from it or add things to it. And the problem is not only, you know, it's obvious that culture would be an issue, trying to get us to question God's word. It, it's obvious that education would try to get us to question God's word, but now the problem is religion is coming into play. And not just other religions, people who consider themselves to be Christians that stand on platforms like this today will try to get people to question the word of God. And anytime you see someone get someone else to question the word of God, you have to know that is the work of Satan. That is an evil work. So that's the first thing. He wants you to question the word of God. Turn to the person next to you and say, I cannot question it. There may be things in Scripture that I do not like. There may be portions of Scripture that I have to wrestle with, but I have to understand it is my responsibility to wrestle with it and understand that if there is a fault, the fault is in me and not in God's Word. I have to understand that the Word of God is like a two-edged sword. And I've got to let that sword do its work where it gets in there and it starts reading me. It starts discerning my heart. Because the issue that needs to be changed can only be changed through the transformation here that comes through the Word of God. But if I'm rejecting it or if I'm removing portions from it, then I'm saying, eh, I don't need that. So that's the first thing. He'll get you to question God's Word. The second thing is he'll get you to question God's intentions. Is God's design for my life really the best design for my life? Is God's design for marriage really the best design for your marriage, or is there something better? Is God trying to restrict me and keep me from something? Many of the times when we look at rules or laws, as the Scripture would call it, we see it as a restrictor on our life, not understanding that God is not trying to keep you from something. He's trying to move you into something better. How many of you have children? I tell my children things like, don't play in the street. Is that being a mean dad? No, because I understand the harm of playing in the street that they may not know. I'm continuously telling my children, hey, be careful, don't do that. And my oldest daughter will look at me like I'm an idiot. I don't know what I'm talking about. And I want to be like, sister, <laughs> this boy right here has lived some life. I've got the scars to prove that you shouldn't be doing what I'm telling you not to do. I'm not trying to keep you from something. I'm trying to offer you something better because I love you. I love you. 
And you've got to understand that God loves you. He wants what is best for you. He wants what is best for your home. But the enemy wants to question his attentions. Maybe there is something better that he's keeping me from. And no one has the right to tell me I'm wrong. No one can judge me. You know, it went from people saying only God can judge me to now no one can judge me. No one has the right to tell me no. I I don't need a God. I'll be my own God. I'll feed my pleasure. I'll feed my will. I'll feed my desire. My will be done. He gets us to question our identity. Because if we don't understand who we are, then he can remove us from our purpose. God created man and woman. He placed them in the garden. The Bible says he blessed them, told them be fruitful, multiply, have dominion. That's big. Have dominion. Subdue this earth and replenish it. Fill it with what? Light bearers. Fill it with more image bearers of God. But as soon as he got us to question our identity and us not understand who we already were, then he messes with our purpose. And now instead of filling the earth with the glory of God, we're filling the earth with darkness. Instead of filling the earth with image bearers, we're filling the earth with children of wrath. He gets us to question our identity. He gets us to question his intentions. Is there a better way for me than what he has already had? And the problem is you've got to understand the book of Proverbs says there is a way that seems right to man. But the end of that path leads to death. There's a way that seems right to you. There's a way that seems right to you. There's a way that seems right to you and your flesh, making your own decisions, but it leads to death. Every form of evil we see in this world is because man has chosen his own way. I want to say that again. Every form of evil we see in the world today is because man has chosen his own way path. We want rewards without integrity, so we'll lie, we'll cheat, we'll steal, and we'll even kill if we need to, because I'm going to get what's mine. I'm going to get what's mine. We want sex without responsibility, and so we sleep with whoever we want, whenever we want, And if we have an unwanted baby, we kill it because it's my body, my choice. It's my life. I do what I want with my life. Are you hearing the foolishness of what we do? And we're not making things better. We think we're woke, which is essentially what the serpent told Adam and Eve in the garden. Eat this and you'll get woke. Your eyes will be opened. You'll see a better way. But our wokeness is not leading to anything better. (laughs) Things are not progressing. Things are getting worse. 
The, the thing that you just saw happen in Nashville, that's horrendous, that's disgusting, and that's not a gun problem. That is a sin problem. And here's the problem with sin. You can't legislate it out of our world. So many of us, were just waiting. Oh, if we can just get this person in office, everything will be okay. No, you may have a moment of prosperity, but they have no ability to deal with sin. Only Jesus can deal with sin. And it doesn't happen through legislation. It happens through transformation. The transformation of the heart the transformation of the life where all things become new for me and I'm no longer spreading darkness, but now I'm spreading light. That's what Jesus came to do. Many of us think he came to save us from hell. That is such a small portion of what he came to do. It all started here. The moment that mankind's identity was stolen through deception, God said, I'm not going to live that way. I'm not going to allow them to live that way. He kicked us out of the garden, not as a punishment because he hated us. He kicked us out of the garden to keep us from eating the tree that would continuously cause us to live in this sin nature. Think about that. Living forever with this doesn't sound good to me. No wonder we have substance abuse problems because we want to escape this. And I don't blame you for wanting to escape this. This is disgusting. This is horrible. And the only solution is Jesus Christ who deals with the sin issue that is causing everything else to happen. I want to show you this in Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions, for our wrongdoings, and none of us are guiltless. You need to know you're not good. Jesus is the only good one. So he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Are you seeing it there? The only way we could have peace was for him to be crushed. Then it says, by his stripes or by his wounds we are healed. That means we are made whole. Here's what that wholeness is. Here's what that wholeness is. That wholeness is a bringing back to the original intention. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. What was lost? Your purpose. Your identity. And so on the cross, he is crushed. His image is marred so that our image can be restored. You got to catch this, church. You got to understand this. His image was destroyed so that your image could be restored. Why is it important that your image is restored? Because it is our responsibility to take dominion and subdue the earth and spread the light and the glory of God. And we do that through disciples making disciples. 
servants of Christ reaching out to a lost and broken, dying world, not trying to change politics, but getting on my knees and starting to pray for my nation, starting to pray for the people that God loves. Stop rejecting people who are in sin and have compassion, understanding that they are lost and dying just like you were lost and dying. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, all of us. None of us are exempt from the damage of sin. The solution? Jesus Christ. Because he cleanses us. He removes the sin. He removes the shame. And he places me on the path that leads to life. And he wants me to take as many people as I can with him. But before I can go with him, I've got to be set free. See, I could do a whole sermon on the donkey. I've done it before. But what you need to see is the donkey was the one that God selected to carry the king. Jesus says, go untie the donkey so that the donkey can carry the king. You and I are the donkey that God has chosen to carry the king in the world, throughout the world, so that people can see Jesus. And if Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. You've got to understand how important what we do as a church is. Over and over and again, I tell you, this is not just a gathering. This is not just a social experiment where we can meet new friends and get in some clubs and have some programs. All of that stuff is well and good. This is the place where the light bearers come together and are equipped to go into the world and make a difference. If you see a problem, stop complaining about it and do something. If you see a problem, stop complaining about it and pray about it. And don't just say, God, I'm asking that you would bring transformation and change to that situation. Start praying and saying, God, what can I do to be a change in that situation? Who can I love today? Who can I minister to today? So many times we go through our world with blinders. Busy with our world. Busy with what we got going on. And we miss the person next to us that's broken. So you may feel okay today, but are you aware of the fact that somebody sitting next to you may be broken? Their life could be in shambles, and your kindness could make a difference. Your word of encouragement could make a difference. God is moving right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I thank you for moving and touching the hearts and the lives of your people. God, I thank you that in this moment we are realizing how much you love us, how much you want to transform us. And God, I'm asking that you would do what only you can do. God, I'm asking that you would do what only you can do. God, we do not have the ability to save ourselves. We do not have the ability to lead ourselves on the path that leads to life. Jesus, only you can do that. And so God, today we cry out, We cry out and say, save now. Hosanna, save now. Save me, Lord. Save me.